Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Beer continues to be big business for the state of Indiana. The question is, can it remain? And then, of course, there's this legislation regarding ESG and will we see divestment from those types of businesses? Well, it'll cost billions of dollars to those looking forward to a pension. What will it cost if we actually do invest in these woke companies? Tony Katz. Good to be with you. Gary Dick joins us from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. Let's talk beer first. If we could there, uh, Gary Dick, we've got a $1.6 billion industry employing over 10,000 Hoosiers. The question is, how is beer going? You know, up and down. Uh, It's an industry, I think, you could say it's in transition. Uh, but I think the arrow is pointing more up than down, if that makes uh, makes any sense. You mentioned the numbers, $1.6 billion in economic impact, 10,000-plus uh, employees. It is an industry that has grown from, I think, around 50 breweries, maybe in 2011, to now more than 200 operating licenses in, in, in really every corner of the state. And I think what we're seeing now, we're getting some uh, news and seeing some headlines uh, of some closures and some uh, consolidation, you might say, in the industry. Blackacre was one that uh, announced a closure, but then Scarlet Lane, a women-owned, uh, a woman-owned brewery uh, here in central Indiana, is coming in to uh, to pick up that op- operation as well. So we're beginning to see some transition. I think part of it is the business cycle. You know, I was talking with a couple of folks in the industry last week. You talked about the fact that brewing beer is fun, and people get into it in part because it's fun. But to be successful, you also have to have some some business acumen. You know, you have to be able to run a business. And I think in some cases, uh, that that business reality kind of slaps uh, folks in the face and and pre- presents a challenge when it comes to uh, running a successful business. You know, so much of what we talk about is always within that that guy's that view of how COVID impacted, but COVID was right. was great for alcohol, was great for, for spirits, and certainly you had distilleries and breweries that wanted to, to help, and they got into hand sanitizers and things uh, like that, right. but is, is there really an argument that COVID was somehow uh, negatively affecting uh, small breweries and distilleries in the state? You know, there there is that uh, there is that narrative out there. I, I tend to to agree with uh, uh, what you just indicated that uh, when you look at at beer uh, distilled spirits sales uh, over the course of the pandemic, uh, tended to have more of a positive impact. Now, if you look at tap rooms, for example, obviously when the shutdowns were in place, that had had an impact. We saw Three Floyds, uh, certainly one of the highest profile breweries in Indiana. They actually closed their tap room in Northwest uh, Indiana. Uh, but they're more focused on uh, producing and distributing uh, beer. Uh, that's their that's their deal. So uh, I think it's had an impact. But I, I think on on balance, you could argue that perhaps that impact from the pandemic a little more positive than than negative. Talking to Gary Dick from Inside Indiana Business dot com on Twitter at IIB. Let's talk money. Let's talk investments. I think one of the big stories this week is about House Bill 1008. I discussed it last week, which is the idea of will public pension dollars 
be divested from those companies that engage ESG, environmental social governance, right? Which is really, for many people, about wokeness. It's about the idea that companies are focused on um, projects that uh, a large-scale investor class like the Black Rocks of the world would want as opposed to actual results for those Investors And the argument from the Indiana Daily Chronicle, or the Indiana Chronicle, I think it was, was that you're talking about nearly $7 billion, $6.7 billion of value that could be lost to people who are looking for a pension if you avoid investing in these businesses. So it started a fight. I have people sending me information everywhere. Oh, check on this, check on that. You know, the, 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 uh, the what do they call it? The consultant class. Everybody is sending me something. I didn't need to be sent anything. Um, there's a price to pay if you avoid investing. There's a price to pay if you invest. Where's the real argument? That's the question. Yeah, and, and you, you, you really hit on it there with, uh, with all the things we're being bombarded with. That's a real hornet's nest and a real controversial uh, a bill uh, that you mentioned there. And as you mentioned, the argument, one of the arguments is uh, there would be a drop in returns that would cut uh, annual, uh, the annual return on investment, I think, is from over 6% to by more than a point, uh, forcing the state, according to this, uh, this piece in the Capitol uh, Chronicle, forcing the state and local governments to pay more uh, toward pensions. Uh, so uh, a huge issue. It will be interesting to watch as that, as House Bill 1008 is debated uh, because the stakes are high. As we talk about pension system and the, and the, uh, the return, uh, so we'll see where that, uh, we'll see where that goes. So what we're, what we're going to witness is basically a political fight. And the political yeah. fight is, does break down on these, right left uh, ki- kind of lines the idea that we we have a responsibility to the people uh that we're providing pensions for and the other side of it is we have a responsibility to make smart investments and ESG investments are about um ideological investments not actually doing uh building a business that will 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 build and you they have uh, the op- opposition side has does have at least an argument there are multitudes of states that have now divested from uh groups like for example BlackRock and others to the tunes of billions divested from um uh the 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 ESG world uh so what is your take on where the momentum is is this something that republicans including governor holcomb are like yeah this is a problem and we see the problem down the road let's put an end to it now or is holcomb a guy who's going to say you know what i've got two years left and i'm not going to be the guy who gets involved in that so uh, i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave it alone and 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 uh let this all happen when i'm not in office well you mentioned politics and that's what it certainly is and i think the the quote from the governor uh talked about uh you know, they'll be watching it. They'll be monitoring it. So not really taking a, a firm stand on it this, at this point. Uh, so I think as, as you look at it from a political standpoint, that's what it will get down to. And we see this uh, uh, debate playing out uh, around the country, Florida and other states, certainly uh, at the forefront of this. So I think it will be, uh, you know, on the one hand, it's a financial uh, debate. It's a financial a financial question, uh, a basic financial question. On the other hand, it's a political uh, debate. And I think they're both going to collide at the state house. Yeah, I believe Holcomb's line that they're going to track this bill and, quote, share our concerns along the way. I will not share with you what I think of Governor Holcomb's uh, statement right there. Talking to Gary Dick inside Indiana Business. 
com on uh, the Twitter box at IIB. You want to check it there. One of the other stories that you've got is about farmland values in the state of Indiana. Um, Wes Mills with uh, that reporting uh, and a report that shows that good quality farmland in Indiana jumped 23%. Um, is, Is this a story of the region? Is this a story of just Indiana? Does this mean that the, the, the farmer is more valued and therefore whatever their crop is, whatever they're growing or, or raising, has more value? Or is this a precursor to, well, I guess they can sell that land now? Yeah, well, uh, certainly uh, farmland's getting a big boost uh, from uh, record uh, crop revenues. No question about that. Uh, Price is up a good, a good thing for farmers, and that's uh, having an effect on farmland. Indiana, as you mentioned, up 23%. The Midwest in general uh, is up double digits. Uh, Indiana higher, though. Indiana, 23%. The rest of the region, which is, uh, you know, Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, uh, up 12%. So generally speaking, and I think that was the largest uh, increase uh, or second largest increase in the past decade as well. So I think uh, record uh, crop revenue certainly playing into that. It's a good, uh, certainly a, a positive thing uh, for the farm community to see those uh, those values on the upswing. I think it's interesting that Indiana doubles our, our neighbors, but is it, yeah. but you, when you bring up prices and how things are selling for more, is this a false positive in that? Everything's gone up. Inflation's gone up. So people are paying more for all of these goods. It doesn't necessarily mean that the value is really there. If inflation goes down as, as the Federal Reserve is desperate to bring it down, and you hear Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Fed, say they're trying to hit their target of 2% inflation by 2024, does this number go down in 2023? Well, we'll see. Uh, and, and again, it's on paper, you know, the value, what we're talking about here and, and should, uh, uh, you know, farmer, farmers are the ultimate entrepreneur. I, I don't think there's any better example of a, an entrepreneur than a farmer. They have to they have to monitor the bottom line at all times. They have to deal with those um, uh, you know situations like inflation, supply chain issues and the weather, things they can't control. So uh, this will be a continuing story as you look at the impact of, as you mentioned, of inflation and of those uh, those macro uh, economic uh, factors impacting the uh, impacting the farm community in Indiana. It seems that every day lately I get one more thing and one more thing sent to me about ESG and my thanks to Gary Dick from InsideIndianaBusiness.com. I didn't need the thing sent to me. I was opposed to it. We're not discussing investment of value. We're discussing government via ideology so uh, ideology with the utilization of force telling people how to run their business this is dangerous awful and violent of course i'm opposed to it there is a bit of um uh, bipartisan uh going on i think this is bipartisan they want actually it's it's a call for congress to get bipartisan um to stop the esg rule from biden from going into effect because as as people like senator mike braun uh sees it uh, andy barr out of kentucky sees it um the rule from the biden administration as they see it, would uh, get rid of fiduciary obligations, which, of course, it does. That's been part of the point. 
You're no longer investing based on good uh, corporate stewardship. You're investing based on who's most wokely connected, regardless of what it does to the business. That's a danger. So the idea that Indiana claims, well, you know, you you divest from these ESG things, you'll you'll be costing uh, these people six point seven billion dollars. May I ask, what is the cost if we do it? Yet, I, I people look at me like I've got nine heads when I ask that question. It seems to be the only question. You know, what is the unseen by investing in these ESG things? And these ESG things are nothing more than ideological templates being pushed by government force, making demands on the private uh, sector, which is, of course, wrong. It's 100% wrong what it is that's going on here. Of course we should be opposed to these things. And I am, st- I am stunned by the pseudo-intellectualness that says, uh, oh no, this is good. This is not good. This is valueless. If you are prioritizing your political interest over investment strategy, Now, let's take this the other way. Disney is as woke as woke can be, yet some people still buy Disney stock. That's their right. They have the absolute right to do that. Uh, Apple makes products in uh, slave-loving China, yet people still buy Apple stock. And you right now have some level of fund right, uh, Vanguard this, and I'm not using names to call people out, although that could be done. I'm utilizing it as just an example. Nothing more, nothing less there. Uh, and you're not 100% sure uh, where uh, where all those investments are. The fund itself, you want to be uh, building itself based on, well, smart metrics, not deciding what it's going to pick based on ESG nonsense where they push environmental madness and other um, uh, woke subjects over the company's growth. And I believe a company can do two things at the same time. It can be responsible and grow. It can do two things at the same time. Which is why this Indiana conversation is so incredibly important. Because this is about force, and I don't know why anybody is okay with the concept of force. Force is, of course, wrong. And yet here comes Governor Holcomb with just the absolute unwillingness to put his voice on anything. He is so afraid. Holcomb telling uh, reporters was this, uh, you know, we don't want it to do anything that risks, anything that responsibly risks our pension or what retirees expect. What about the damage done by allowing these kinds of things to take place? Well, Tony, it's their business and they can do what they will. They could. If you, if, if you want to make that very simplistic argument. But should we be investing in those things? This is about our government. We should indeed have a say. 
And this is these funds now working in conjunction with government. Because if they don't work in conjunction with government, who knows? Maybe government won't invest in them. Maybe they won't get the uh, investment opportunities. So you see how ugly this all becomes. You see how Soviet style this all becomes. Of course, you should be opposed to it. Holcomb is going to track the bill and share concerns along the way. It is as weak as the day is long. Do you really have an opinion on nothing outside of abortion? Governor Eric Holcomb literally has no opinion on anything. I'm sorry. That's madness. That is pure, raw, unadulterated madness. And he should be called out for it. Meanwhile, I'm, I could get on this subject for, for another month. Like, I, I, there's so much to it. I'll spend the week breaking it down in parts here and there. Keep it here, guys. I'm Tony Katz. So one of the things we learned from the Super Bowl, it's that the, uh, you know, the uh, M&Ms are back. The M&M's are, are back. They had to take a pause, don't you know? The M&M spokes uh, candies uh, things because you can't have a, uh, an, an M&M, you know, in, in women's boots. You can't have women M&M's. They're, they're, they're candy. There aren't women nor men. Yeah, but I'm talking about their cartoon representation. Can't be women. My God, women wearing high heels. That's, that's obscene and sexist and... Lord only knows what. And so M&M's changed the, the candies. And people are like, why are you doing this? And then M&M's was like, okay, everybody's freaking out. Maya Rudolph will be our spokesperson. And then that was just super weird, although I am a huge fan of Maya Rudolph. She makes me laugh out loud. Um, so it's clear that this was all just a one-time thing. And now the M&M's, the talking candies are, are back just stop. That's all we want. I, I, I'm going to get more into this. Like, all we want is is for 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 things not to be woke. That, that, that's what we want. Well, the thing that I thought was most interesting was um, Greg Olson as a TV commentator, formerly of the Carolina Panthers, tight end. Olson is the new Tony Romo. That That's who he is. Tony Romo former quarterback for the Cowboys, when he hit TV, he was uh, a, a revelation. He was calling the play before the play happened. He knew it was going to happen. He was breaking it down for you. It was it was nutty. It was nutty what he could do. It was amazing what he could do. Really. You, you were like, wow. And the, I didn't actually see a Romo called game this year that I remember. I, I don't recall it. Maybe, maybe I did, and I don't, and I just don't remember. We'll go with I don't remember it. But for those people who are really into it and watching, it's like Romo phoned it in. He didn't study the teams. He didn't know the players, and he he sounded like a guy who didn't give a damn. Just let me take my money, and we're done with this here. And the fans called him out on it. So I don't know. Maybe it's too much work, and maybe we're getting a glimpse into why Tony Romo wasn't a. a the pro he could have been. He wasn't willing to do the work. Oh, am I the first person to say that? I'm only asking a question. Only a curiosity at this stage of the game. Was he a guy not willing to do the work when it mattered most? That extra hour, that extra time in the gym, whatever it was, that extra time studying. Maybe. 
A lot of good love for Greg Olson there. What's going on with the balloons? Retired Major Mike Lyons is here to break it down for us. That's up next. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. So we've got objects. Are they balloons? Are they other things? No one seems to tell us. Yeah, we had the spy balloon. Uh, the Chinese spy balloon that flew over the United States, but we couldn't shoot that down until it made its way over South Carolina, you know, right once it was over water. But this object over Alaska, we can blow that out of, sky, out of the sky. This object over Canada, we can blow that out of the sky. This object at 20,000 feet over Lake Huron off Michigan, we can blow that out of the sky. So what actually is different since when is joe biden so tough and what are these things never mind the propaganda war that china is getting into tony katz tony katz today it's good to be with you major mike lyons joins us right now retired united states army uh, west point guy you also see him on tv and on radio as a military analyst everywhere Let's take a look at these last three things. The object shot down over Alaska, the one shot down over Canada. The Canadians knew that we were doing it. It was a joint operation. And then most recently, unless, you know, something happens in the next five minutes, uh, over Lake Huron, what exactly are these objects, or at least what are we being told, and how do they differ from the Chinese spy balloon? Yeah, Tony, we're not being told a lot. And in fact, the first thing we're not being told is they're even from China. So we don't know specifically what they are. We suspect that um, from from the reports that they are not necessarily spy balloons because they don't appear to be emanating um, the kind of signals that are being sent back. Uh, They don't appear to be threatening anything. The only thing they're doing is threatening FAA commercial airline space, which seems to be the reason that's given. Now, I I would agree that in a post-9-11 world, we've got to be 100% sure what's flying inside that uh, 40,000 foot uh, ceiling and below. And in in this case, these three balloons were in that spot. And that's the reason that they've been given for for shooting them down, which again, in a post 9-11 world, I think that uh, remains to be seen as as, got to be first and foremost a rule. Um, But they could be some foundation, you know, uh, with some weather balloon collecting information we just don't know. We haven't been given a lot of information. Frankly, after the first debacle, Frank, of, of letting that, uh, that spy balloon across the United States, I, the, these last three look more political than they do military-related. They don't, they don't appear to threaten anybody within, uh, within the United States or in Canada and the like, but, um, but sending the signal that we're trying to be more aware of as to what's in our, what's in our airspace. I, I don't disagree that it could be uh, political, but since we don't know what they are yet, we'll, we're not going to you know pre- pretend to know. But rather we get into the idea of look at how quick we are to shoot things down, as if there's no other way to take something down. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you, and, and I would like to dig in further about whether or not this uh, spy balloon should have been taken down earlier, specifically whether it would be over the Aleutian Islands when I guess it was first really known about, or over Montana when people looked up in the sky and said, hey, look, a giant balloon. Uh, But these other objects, if we're going to follow the Chuck Schumer theory of we had a lot to learn uh, that that the balloon taught us, could these other objects not teach us anything? 
No, they can, and um, the, the the gap in in our potential defenses at, at uh, that airspace is is concerning. Uh, we should know what they are. Um, the one over at Lake Huron claimed to have somehow been in in, in Montana and threatened DOD sites. I mean, that's that's another excuse that that was given there. Uh, we could always learn from them. I I you know the, the when you shoot them down from twenty thousand feet, they hit the ground at terminal velocity. There's not going to be a lot remaining. Uh, if, if there's any kind of equipment there that uh, would likely survive that kind of a crash. Um, but, but again, it remains to be seen what, as to where they are. I know that NORAD is concerned. I had talked to someone who uh, said that, uh, that normally the, the initial balloon was found kind of by the weather folks, and now uh, going forward there, they're going to be much more on the lookout for these things and recognize that, that they, they didn't know what they were. NORAD, by the way, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. Um, China has engaged in in two different unique tacts, uh, one being uh, Chinese state media laughing at the way Biden has responded. The United States is hysterical in their response to these balloons and shooting them down. And then China states that it's the United States that has launched 10 of these balloons into China. And now you're getting questions asked to people like John Kirby, a spokesman for the Pentagon there, uh, as if somehow this is news. So we're now seeing our news agencies uh, promote Chinese propaganda as opposed to clearly stating that it's Chinese propaganda. Uh, this is this is China 101, is it not? No, it is. And, and we do have some kind of programs with regard to um, balloons. I know that uh, in, in my, about two or three years ago, a lot of this was in the civilian side of the house in terms of the government because it was kind of more weather-based. But then the military realized that they could use balloons as a way to um, skip, let's say, communication uh, across uh, to troops in a faster way as opposed to using satellite technology and stuff. But, um, but sure, we're, we're, we're falling right into this trap of, you know, again, great power competition with trial balloons as China claims that the United States has been doing this. And, and you know, we, we, we likely do have these in the air. The question is whether that they've been flying over China. I would suspect that they're not. Uh, that's not something that, you know, given what, uh, you know, how easy it would be to be caught by something like this, it would not be something that this government would do. It's not, let me, let me make sure I understand you. It's too easy to find a balloon, so there's no way that the Biden administration would send over balloons, or there's no way the U.S. government, the U.S. military, would see a rational sense to sending over balloons because they'd be too easy to find. No, the U.S. military wouldn't do it without permission from an administration. The president would have to make that decision, knowing that it would violate that country's airspace. Uh, we do send these drones and balloons in international waters, of course, and are used as a way, not not in a way that, um, with, that maybe perhaps the Chinese have used them and maybe perhaps that, that they've got a lot more uh, in the air, but uh, it is a tool in the toolbox, so to speak, and they, they were trying to use them more. In fact, um, they were used a couple of years ago in drug interdictions. For example, there were some groups that were trying to use uh, these kind of balloons as a way to communicate and, and send signals out with regard to troop locations for uh, tracking down some drug uh, users that are drug interdictions in from the Coast Guard, for example. But no, I, I don't see us, the government, ever 
doing this, the military doing this without permission from administration. Now to the, the other part of it where you have uh, Chinese media saying that the response from the U.S. is hysterical. As I was trying to explain to some people over the weekend, this is exactly why they the Chinese utilized a balloon because it, it's, it's kind of hard to get angry at a balloon. You know, uh, yeah. it, it, it's just it's meant to be benign. And so a response is meant to seem over uh, the, the top. It, it seems to me that our response to China should be a much stronger one for what they've done. Talk to me about the, the, the forces at play in determination of a response. Well, well, first and foremost, uh, the Pentagon was at odds with the administration in the beginning of this with the first balloon because they wanted to see and understand as much about this balloon as possible. I'm told that uh, they used it as a laboratory. They used new um, observation techniques on it and claimed that they inoculated the United States from any kind of damage it was incurring and knowing full well that uh, the Chinese were operating it and, and uh, monitored it from the second it left uh, the China until it got here. And it was the administration that wanted it shot out of the sky, but the military kind of got its way, and that's where, again, that, that, that trigger flipped to more political, and the new protocol is everything gets you know, shot out of the sky initially. So I, th- I, think that, um, I think that the Chinese, from their perspective, look at this and say, it's a great you know, it's a trial balloon. What, what's it, what's it going to be an act of provoca- uh, to, to provoke America and get Americans reunited again, is it, it's, it's something like this. And instead, we have a little bit of a partisan divide, uh, although in this case, maybe both sides have been wondering as to what exactly is going on here and then want to know more about it. But uh, the, on the politician side, and then we know the military, the military feels China is a, is a very big enemy. Uh, the question is what the American public feel, and it doesn't, doesn't appear that this situation has galvanized American public with regards to being much against China, so I think they're going to continue to do it. I, I want to dig a little bit deeper on that, talking to Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army. You don't think that the American people uh, recognize that this balloon, this that, that China as, as a whole is is really the enemy is it is it your contention uh, uh, your contemporaries contention that Americans don't see the issue don't see the problem and really see this balloon as a non-event well I think not you no know, I, I don't I don't think that we recognize the American public as a whole recognizes the threat that China poses and and if you if you look at the different surveys out there and they don't really rank China as a as a as a top enemy, so to speak, and there's a lot that has a lot to do with that. But um, unlike the politicians and unlike the military, and uh, when they look up in the sky, you would have thought that the visual would have been the reality and the political of of that. Look, there's the Chinese government there spying on us and seeing if it does anything. I just don't think that to think that there's been this outrage against China about it. There doesn't clear to be outraged in the rest of the world about it either, because China has done this to other countries as well, and we know that there were balloons in South America, and they had the same kind of situation taking place there. So um, I, think in, I think in some ways, uh, it, if, we, if it moves forward and we find out that there's fleets of Chinese balloons coming over, maybe that will galvanize American, the American public into recognizing the threat that China actually is. What needs to be the response? If, if, if you're giving advice um, 
you know, there's there's a question as to people like whether or not people like uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin are really committed to providing a response. But I also hear from plenty of members of Congress, Democrats included, that we need to understand what China is is doing. Uh, so what is, as you view it, a proper response here? And does that response change if it finds out if we find out that these other objects shot down over Alaska, Canada and Lake Huron are also Chinese? Does that change what the response should be? Yeah, if they're if they, the other um, ones that have been shot down over Canada and Lake Huron are, come out to be Chinese, that that's a real problem. That's a real infiltration of, of our airspace, especially at the at the at that FAA below forty thousand foot level, which has got to be pristine after nine eleven. Um, so until we find that out, I, I'm not sure what else we could do. As to our response, it just shows we have to do two things. First of all, come up with better over the horizon technology to make sure that. We don't that these things aren't piercing that uh, that veil, and they're not coming from the outside in. Um, if these balloons were launched inside the continental United States or so in 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 North America, from North America, then we've got to do a better job of, of figuring out, analyzing. They still can be coming from enemies. They could be still coming from threats uh, to our country. We've got to do a better job of, of picking them up and spotting them. Uh, as as of over overall, though, I think very clearly the protocol is now. If it's coming from the outside, if we detect it and spot it, it's going to get shot down. Major Mike Lyons, retired United States Army uh, television and radio military analyst. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We have got more to get to. Find everything TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today. I think the Super Bowl was entertaining. The Chiefs over the Eagles, 38-35. to 35, And, of course, Eagles fans, you know, ripped apart their city. At least that was the reports. They were climbing uh, light poles and screaming, blank the Chiefs and everything else. I mean, what's the difference between that and any other Tuesday? It's Philadelphia. This is what happens. Good Lord. You don't even have to lose or win a football game for that to happen. Did I say hello? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on, guys? Find everything, TonyKatz.locals.com. But it was an entertaining game. It was good offense. It was good defense. It was good back and forth. It's down to the last seconds. That's that's what you want. That is what you want. So you definitely felt like you got your money's worth. And if you're an advertiser, you definitely, definitely felt like you got your money's worth. The NFL, I thought this year, actually put on a good product. Because the amount of of wokeness was truly down to a minimum. Yes, they still do the same ridiculous things, you know. It takes all of us on the sidelines and end racism on the on the helmets. The 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 silly, pathetic sloganeering. And I'm not saying that there aren't doing things that I find to be silly. Um do I have a problem with girls playing football? Absolutely, positively not. Does it make smart business sense to want to make sure you're expanding the potential fan base in every direction? Absolutely, I do. A hundred percent, I do. I don't want the NFL to go over the edge on some of this. It's, it is, there is no objection to girls playing flag football. I don't even know if there's an objection to girls playing tackle football. I, I haven't heard of that. I have no objection to it. I'm just saying, I don't know if there's some movement out there. Oh, that shouldn't happen. I, I'm not one of those people. Girls playing football with men, 
um, that's going to be a problem because someone's going to get broken. Men get broken. Women are, by nature, not as strong. They're absolutely going to get broken. I am not saying that I would even have an issue if women played. None. It'd be a lot, it's a lot different than men's playing women's sports. If women want to play with the men at the most elite level, because the most elite level is men, see, that's considered by some people to be insulting. Don't actually care. It's fact. Facts matter. If there are women who want to play at the elite level, I have zero issue with it. Zero, zero issue with it, except I wonder sometimes how those men feel. What, like, what happens when I tackle this woman? What happens when I, like, I, go re- I do the real tackle, it's full on, it's at speed, with strength, I'm going I'm to paralyze this woman, and how am I going to feel? I think that needs to be taken into account. And, and I say this as somebody who watches how the defense of all of these teams has to deal with quarterbacks. Quarterbacks have too many protections. Too many rules protecting quarterbacks. And you see defensive linemen and defensive ends and safeties try and ease up, try and change. They're putting themselves at great risk to not hit the quarterback when the quarterback slides. And then sometimes a quarterback will fake a slide, which I believe should be a 15-yard penalty from the start of the play. Quarterbacks should not be allowed to fake slides. That's an abuse of the rules. The slide is there so the quarterback's life is saved, being the franchise player. The defensive player is already putting themselves into huge jeopardy by changing their trajectory, and then you can fake the slide and keep running. 15-yard penalty, maybe an, uh, you, you, you get dropped from the game. Like, I think it should be that serious. But this was about women in, in, in football, and I have no problem with the advertising to women in football. I think it makes actually rational sense to expand the fan uh, base. I just worried about how the wokeness continues. And the NFL did a good job, I think, of hiding most of its wokeness. As long as you're not lecturing to me, I'm good with it. Don't lecture. Don't lecture to the players either. Just have people play football. But I don't know how long the NFL can control itself. I have no faith in Roger Goodell's ability or the NFL's ability to just be normal. None whatsoever. Find everything. TonyCats.locals.com. TonyCats.locals.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.